Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Bullshift the Podcast, where we talk about behavioral finance issues as it pertains to ordinary retail investors. My name is John DeGuy. I am the author of the book Bullshift and the host of the podcast. Welcome. My guest this week is Kevin Prince. Kevin has spent more than 30 years working in the financial services industry, and he brings a rare combination of both industry knowledge and educational expertise on the subject of exchange-traded funds. He works for BMO, and during his career, he's authored several investment industry courses for the Canadian Securities Institute, including ETF-focused courses and managed accounts chapter for the Canadian Securities course. He frequently interacts with portfolio managers and investors about their benefits, the benefits of ETFs and how they can be used to add value in your portfolio. This interaction helps uh, him with his institutional background and his work with managed account platforms as well. He's a regular contributor to investment industry publications, has been a guest speaker and a panelist at many industry events, has appeared on BNN and he has done a whole bunch of things in the ETF space in Canada. Kevin holds an MBA from Dalhousie University and a number of industry designations, including FCSI, CIM, and CFP. Kevin, how are you today? John, thanks for having me on and look forward to getting, getting into this with you. Well, it's, it's great. One of the great things about the Bullshift podcast is that uh, we, we get to interview some really, really fascinating people who have some great uh, industry experience, and you're certainly one of those. I'm, I'm wondering if we can maybe start just by having a very quick overview by maybe having you talk a little bit about what exchange traded funds are, maybe a background of the industry in general, just an overview of the industry. Uh, John, great idea. Um, the industry itself, ETFs is what people tend to use the terminology, but let's take that step up, take that back a step and call it what it is, it's exchange traded funds. So that's the business I work in. And really, when you talk about the words exchange rate funds, what does that mean? At the fundamental level, it's a basket. It's a basket of stocks. It's a basket of bonds. And the, this basket trades on the stock market, hence the words exchange traded fund. Now, just a little bit of background, if you don't mind. Um, the ETF industry really started out, oh, more than 30 years ago now. But when they originally started out, it was tracking against broad market indexes. That's an interesting concept because it kind of kind of gives you where the industry's come from and where the industry's going to. Mm-hmm. So the industry started out saying, let's track against some of the more known indexes. And bear with me, if people are watching this and following and you know, hearing about the T- TSX going up or the S&P 500 going up or down, um, what they're really hearing is a basket of securities is moving up or moving down on a regular basis. And the S&P 500 being a good example because it's 500 securities in a it's 100 securities a list. And what, what the ETF companies did initially as the creation of the industry is it said, let's take this basket or this, this list of securities and let's make it investable. And that's what all started the industry. Now, that became more of an access vehicle to that strategy of holding that index, that large list of securities out there. 
But interesting that came and happened as it went along for the industry. The industry itself then kind of evolved because people said, well, we've got Canada to start off with. We have the S&P 500. Let's look at that. And then the other things happen is that things like the developed markets, emerging markets in the Far East came in, as well as the emerging markets came into place. And why is that all important? Well, I should also highlight fixed income, a very key, key solution set to come with your ETFs. I bring all those up in context because ETFs initially started as access vehicles to the marketplace, that list of securities, but they became portfolio construction tools because you can have Canada, you can have US, you can have international, you can have fixed income, and you can start to build the portfolios. And when I look at the ETF industry as of late, in the last 15 years or so, it's really been going down that path of building portfolios and bringing new solution sets to the marketplace to help build portfolios and, and really build portfolios in along the wet lines what end investors or advisors are looking to design the portfolios around. So certainly a lot of innovations, but really portfolio construction tools is what I look at ETFs are. But a basket of securities at any one time is a good way to look at it. Now, you also asked brief a little, at brief a little bit about the industry. Don't mean to cut you off there, but probably about 300, $300 billion in Canadian ETF marketplace, the area that I tend to work in. Um, about $35 billion was the growth last year, to give you some of the context of the level of growth in the industry. Providers, yes, uh, we are one of the providers in the marketplace, but there's 42 different providers in the Canadian ETF marketplace and well over 1,000 ETFs. So going back to that concept of uh, portfolio construction, a lot of choices to build portfolios, however an individual wants to build a portfolio. And it's funny because uh, you, you even, even then you're just scratching on the surface because within any given benchmark, you can have uh, value or growth. You can have large cap or small cap. You can have with or without dividends. On, on the income side, you can have short-term, long-term, corporate or, or government. There are lots of ways of slicing and dicing. And when you talk about how we have over a thousand of them in the marketplace right now, it's because of the proliferation of being able to more finely tune the way you want to engage in that portfolio construction that exchange traded funds have really taken off. Now, as you know, a lot of what I talk about on Bullshift the podcast revolves around behavioral economics. And I'm wondering if you can maybe do a bit of a, having given us the overview, maybe talk a little bit more about how ETFs are merging with behavioral economics and behavioral finance in terms of products, but also in terms of the strategies and, and the way the two are coming together going forward. Oh, I think that's exactly that. In that you see in the evolution of ETFs, and then you see in the thought process of behavioral finance come out too. And they're both kind of influencing the industry at the same time. But if I look with the lessons where the ETFs are getting or part of pulling from the behavioral finance aspect. And the first thing I want to kind of highlight is, you know, if you look at um, investors and, you know, maybe there's a loss aversion strategy and something, something you talk about in your book, right? Well, a lot of ETF investors, knowing that they hold the market, are a little more cognizant of that and maybe stay into that investment for a little while longer because they're getting market performance. Eric Belchunas, an author himself out there, he uh, highlighted more recently that if you look at the marketplace on the market corrections, people who invest in ETFs in the marketplace, and ETFs are more likely to stay with that investment because they know they're getting market performance out of it. So that's one aspect out of that. And then if you think about the different types of investors out and the different types of behaviors out there, state of loss, aversion, mm -hmm. we could do um, a, a different aspect. But what you were seeing now in the ETF business, and you're just touching on it, is 
there's lots of different types of ETFs too. Mm -hmm. So outcome behaviors, outcome related ETFs. So for example, a low volatility ETF could be something that somebody who has a, a little more loss aversion there can maybe have more of an income-based ETF out there too. Mm -hmm. Certainly solution sets that ETFs are brought to marketplace. And on top of that too, some people may want to look to outperform. There's different ways of strategies out there we can get through ETFs. So what I'm highlighting there is that ETFs have not only come by and offer the traditional market solution that people are familiar with, the S&P 500, the TSX cap composite, but are also now offering objective-based approaches to more align an individual back to their strategy and have that strategy tailor, the holdings tailor back to their, their, their needs. And Again, going back to what we just talked about there, I really do believe that as portfolio construction tools, as the ETF industry evolved, you know, you can now build that portfolio to the objectives and certainly start to factor in the perspective of your finances in the marketplace. Let's shift gears now and take a look at the decision making in, that people go through in the world of portfolio construction. Um, there are lots of ways that you can build portfolios using exchange traded funds, Kevin. I'm wondering if you can maybe walk us through the different ways that you might want to do it and some of the strategies, score and satellite, asset allocation, that sort of thing. John, great question. And I think this is a really the area that ETFs really stand out because with all those choices we mentioned before, the thousand different ETFs out there, you yeah. can really tailor an individual's portfolio. Yes, you can buy individual ETFs to build a portfolio, but there's actually been advancements too where there's now ETFs that hold ETFs inside them. Right. So if you're looking, for example, to build a, a diversified core, you can do that with what they call asset allocation ETFs. And they hold fixed income, equities, US, Canada, international, maybe emerging markets too, and different mixes across the board. It depends on your risk tolerance. And that's a good place to start. You can just stop there. Let's say you're following the TV, watching the news, and you get influenced, and you want to add maybe oil and gas, gold, for example, out there. You can do that too now through ETFs, but keep it at a diversified level. So a basket of gold companies or a basket of oil and gas companies. So it's, it's great because if you wanted to do, say, a, a so-called single ticket solution where you buy one product that has the stocks, the bonds, the domestic, the foreign, the short term, long term, you can do that with one basket and you can even do it at your at your risk profile at 60, 40 or at 80, 20 or what have you. Or you can sort of build it in your own garage and buy, you know, seven or eight different products and have 5% in this and 10% in that and 20% in the other thing and you mix and match them to, to express your own preferences in a personal kind of way. So it's great because you can make it as simple as you want or as customized as you want, depending on your own preference. Exactly. You can even have an ETF hold into ETF and then buy an individual stock too. It's right. your choice. Yeah. But the nice thing is you're bringing diversification across. And we talked about before, rules-based approaches. Right. Can we maybe talk a little bit about tips that you would uh, recommend to people? So if, if the people that are listening and watching uh, haven't bought an exchange-traded fund previously, what are the sorts of things they should be thinking about as they're, as they're making their, their buying and selling decisions? Uh, John, great question. Really good question. First and foremost, I'm going to highlight, go to the company's respective websites. Make sure you're looking up the information. Right. Don't just look at the marketing name look underneath the hood what is inside that respective ETF. In addition, I would take a look at something called ETF FACTS, F-A-C-T-S, FACTS. Mm -hmm. There are other um, materials out there, fact sheets, whole works, but I like the ETF FACTS itself because that's a regulatory document. It provides nice, clean, and clear disclosure. 
And I like disclosure. That helps somebody get makes a really an informed decision. Beyond those kind of information stuff on the website and going to the ETF facts document, I'd also say if you're looking at buying and selling ETFs, understand that you need to look at trading them and limit orders around the ETFs. So when you're buying the ETF, maybe not market orders, particularly during the day, but certainly not in the morning or the tail end of the day. Limit orders is probably the best way to buy or sell an ETF. And certainly if you don't want to limit orders, please look that up. It's a good way to execute against an ETF. Okay. And what about uh, myths? Are there certain myths that you'd like to highlight? Oh, thanks, John. Good question. Really good question. Just like there's behavioral finance you have to go over, it's certainly a certain myths in the ETFs, right? Okay. First and foremost, people look at uh, ETFs as just being like stocks. And yes, while they trade in the stock market, just like ETFs, they absolutely do. One thing that people look at all the time is the volume traded in an ETF, just like they would look at a stock. But I'm going to tell you, probably not the best thing to look at is volume traded in an ETF. Just keep in mind that how the ETF works is the basket of the ETF, the individual securities, is exchangeable for the ETF, and the ETF is exchangeable for the basket. Why does that matter? Because you get the underlying liquidity of the basket at any one time plus the liquidity of the ETF. So bottom line, when you're looking at buying and selling ETFs, it's not just like a stock. It's actually the stock, the, the liquidity of the ETF plus liquidity of the underlying stocks. A couple other things for there to kind of miss, sometimes we hear at times is, you know, uh, Prior to prior a few years ago, can ETFs cause market correction? No, think about this. An ETF is a basket, so it's the buy and sell in the underlying that drives it. We're just following wherever the direction the market's going up or down, right? So I know there's some myths up there. And then, of course, people talk about performance wise. And I would like to say that, you know, choose your vehicles. There's lots of choices, active, passive out there. Everyone to build a portfolio. So it's not that one outperforms or the other one outperforms. There are different ways of building portfolios. So a couple of things about there. What about uh, things for people to read? I don't know if you know any uh, websites off the top of your head, and I'm sort of putting you on the spot, but do you know of any websites that you'd actually be able to refer to someone to, to say if they wanted to learn a bit more about exchange-traded funds? And if not, that's fine, but I'm just wondering if you do. Oh, no, absolutely. First of all, the TMX here in Canada is a great site, TMX Money. Right. They have a lot of information on that website. So we take a look at that. CETFA, which is the Canadian Association of ETF Providers, also has a website with lots of education on it. So those are two, two good places to start for anybody. And of course, okay. take a look at the respective providers' websites too. Sure. Lots of information and education. On yeah, I, I, ironically, just recently we did an interview with uh, Pat Dunwoody from Setbra from CET, CETFA, the Canadian Exchange Trade Fund Association. And it's funny because I don't think I even had Pat plug the uh, the set for website so i'm glad i asked you because now we've actually got a chance to to tell people hey you know if you're thinking about this we should uh, we should go there i'm wondering if we could maybe talk a little bit about um optimism bias and the decision making that people have to the decisions people make when they're, when they're thinking about what to buy and and what extent to buy it and and how positive they feel about investing in the market and all the money they think they're going to make. Can you maybe comment on optimism bias in particular one way or the other in terms of what, what, what it means to you and what you think that individual investors should be thinking about? Yeah. I mean, when you're getting optimism biased, you're, you're certainly looking at, you know, it's, you know, if you think of the market, there's a fear and there's a greed ultimately in the marketplace that people right. drives people's behaviors. And that's really talking more about the, the, the greed aspect of the marketplace. Yeah. It's all fine. It's part of the part of how we deal with the marketplace. Um, I kind of actually think that's a, a, a that's an area that ETFs help out in, to be honest with you. 
-hmm. in that you're always buying a basket. So sometimes, again, going back to the point, you can watch the TV and maybe it's influencing you to buy something. Mm -hmm. You can certainly use an ETF to execute against that strategy. Now you're not stuck with just one aspect. And maybe that thing didn't turn out well for you, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes one security doesn't follow what the rest of the market does. But buying a diversified approach at least gives you, uh, uh, you know, the diversification in the marketplace because ultimately diversification, many studies have proved out, it helps really mitigate the volatility and the risk. And it's you that volatility and the risk that drives somebody to change their behaviors. Right, right. right. And, and it's funny because and, uh, optimism bias is closely related to overconfidence. And a lot of people do things because they, they frequently have these visions of, of the positive outcome dancing in their head when they make the purchase, but they don't stop and, and think about, well, well, what if this didn't work out? One of the, one of the phrases I use in the book is a pre-mortem, like, you know, in a, in a post-mortem when they bring in the, the coroner to figure out, you know, how the person died. One way that you can think about things, and this is a, this is a concept that comes from Annie Duke in her book, Thinking in Bets, is to do a pre-mortem where you actually think about what could have gone wrong before it goes wrong. And then you, you do an assessment. Okay, well, how would I feel if I lost 20% in this, in this investment? What if I lost 30? What if I lost 40? And then you can think about how you, how you would feel. And then what it can help you do in the decision-making process on the buy side is the, the, the fund facts or the ETF facts document will tell you how risky the product is. And of course, the riskier the product, the greater is the likelihood you will lose and the greater is the amount you could lose if you lose. And that will help you to say, okay, you know what, if I'm doing my pre-mortem, Maybe this high-risk sort of uh, uh, micro-cap uh, ETF isn't really the right thing for me after all. Or, or if it is, maybe I should be putting 5% in instead of 15%. You know, that sort of thing. And, and that's the sort of thing that I think a lot of people have to think about. You know, they have to think about whether they're working with an advisor or on their own. How am I going to go about building my portfolio? And what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Absolutely. And then I go right back to the concept we're talking about portfolio construction. And the fact that ETF is rules-based, yeah, it's going to stay to that objective, right? Right, and it's going to rebalance towards that objective. So you're right. Once you set that, you can certainly have a little more confidence. It's going to stay within inside those rails you set. Mm -hmm. Of course, make sure you always get your confidence, and as things change, reset your portfolio based upon yeah. your needs too. But it always makes like like they say the carpenter's rule is to measure twice, cut once. You should really make sure you've got. Your, your own sense of what you can and cannot handle clear in your own mind before you start investing so that when the going gets tough, and I'm not saying anything will or won't, but it could, and if you invest long enough, it, you're always going to experience it eventually, then you need to be able to have the, the fortitude to stick with it. All right, so we're now at the last part of the, uh, of the actual podcast where we talk about the two things that I always like to bring up with my guests. The first is something called, that's bullshit. And that's where I ask people to say, what is it about the financial services industry that you think you could maybe have the industry change and, and do a little bit better? Oh, look, I think transparency. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Transparency is the most, because when you're building a portfolio as an individual investor or as a, an advisor, knowing what you currently hold and what you can, and what you're adding to your portfolio is absolutely important in my mind. So the greater the transparency in the industry, I think the better the portfolio construction is going to be going. Perfect. Okay. So then that brings us to the last point, which is shift happens. So if it was up to Kevin Prince and we were to deal with the problem of transparency that you just ad identified a moment ago, 
How would you change the industry to shift things, to make them better, to make the industry more transparent? How would I? Um, I would certainly look at uh, better ways of disclosure on the holdings okay. that people have, right? That, I think that's the key thing. How do we get more disclosure on those holdings? Good. Uh, that's great. So thanks, Kevin. Your, your insights and your perspective on the industry and the way it's grown is, is very much appreciated. The exchange traded fund market in Canada has been burgeoning. Uh, I think the compounded annual growth rate is either in the high teens or very low 20s, going back you know 20 some odd years. So it's uh, exchange traded funds are growing like a bad weed in Canada. And part of that is because we have advocates like you helping people to debunk myths and to assist them in portfolio construction and, and deciding on how to use them and, and how to use them more effectively. So thank you for all you've done and thank you for appearing on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bullshift, the podcast, was created in support of John DeGuey's book, Bullshift, available now online and in bookstores everywhere. The comments and opinions are those of the author and his guests. They are for informational purposes and should not be construed as investment advice. John DeGuey is an author, public speaker, senior investment advisor, and portfolio manager at Wellington Altus Private Wealth. For more information about John and his books, please visit standup.today. Bullshift, the podcast, is produced by TalkShoe, a division of IOTUM. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.